We're in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 3. We are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness on my own that comes from the law, but that comes through the faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You that have been here know that we're walking through Philippians and continue to do that. And the theme is that Christ would be magnified. And we have looked at Paul's heart, and Paul's heart was that Christ would be magnified, that he would be lifted up in his life, whether by life or by death. Didn't matter to Paul. He had a, he had a sense that it was going to be some more life, that he would be with the Philippians for a while longer, but didn't know when death might come, could come at any moment in his life. But then he goes and he says, why? The reason that he wants Christ to be magnified is that you as a Philippian people might progress in the joy of your faith. Progress in the joy of your faith. That is an incredibly powerful statement. And I believe it ought to be, it ought to be the goal of every shepherd of every flock. It is what ministry is about, that we would progress in the joy of our faith. Not a flippant, trite, trivial kind of joy. We've talked about that, and you can go back on the website and get the messages. We're talking about a deep, soul-strengthening joy in the most horrific of circumstances. A joy that strengthens us. And I pray even this morning, as as Christ has been magnified, as he's been lifted up, that your soul has resonated with that because it's been strengthened. Now, we are in Philippians chapter 3. We began there last week, and we're walking through that chapter. And it's interesting to me how Paul um, put Philippians, or how he began that portion of his letter. He says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is of no trouble to me. And is safe for you. The same things that he's writing here are the gospel. He's coming back to the gospel of Christ. That's really what he centers in in chapter 3. And as I said last week as we came to the Lord's table, he said it is, it is no problem for me to share this again with you. And in fact, it's good for me to share this again with you. And I planted there last week a bit. And back to that whole theme that you hear me talk a lot about is the gospel is for believers. I think it is the lie and deception of Satan to to get us to think that the gospel is for the beginning of the Christian life, but that's it. That's not the way it works. That's why Paul said it's safe for you, for me to keep coming back 
to the gospel of Christ. Does he always say it the same way? No. That's why there's 50 reasons in this book why Jesus came to die. Why, what is his death about? It is about the gospel. But there's 50 reasons here. I gave you another this morning as you came in. It's not the same thing every time as far as the same words, but it's the same theme. It is the same theme in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and all that it means for believers. It strengthens our soul and it's the safest thing we can do. In fact, the most dangerous thing I can do to you is get up here this morning and tell you things to do devoid of the gospel. Because that will lead you down a road that is very dangerous. Everything about the Christian life centers in the gospel. From coming to life in Christ to living out that life. It's all about and centers in the gospel. And so that's why Paul says it's safe for me to say these things. Now this morning I want to go on in this passage. I want to talk about a couple of things that that I think... Paul is thinking about when he says it's safe for me, it's good for me, it's good for you to keep hearing it because it prevents a couple of things from happening. Uh, There's lots of things it prevents from happening, but a couple I think probably were in Paul's mind. One is, first of all, it keeps the Christian life from becoming a heavy burden to bear. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, it says in this passage. In other words, he was king of the Pharisees. And that's no light thing to say. The Pharisees were very disciplined people and they practiced lots of spiritual disciplines, um, fasting, all kinds of things. And, and they weren't all bad people. They were, they were practicing things, I think, devoid of the real power to live it out. But they weren't bad people, all of them. They were, many of them, very, very sincere people. Some of the most sincere people you would ever find in regards to faith issues. Now, hypocrisy entered in in many places, but there was a sincerity about them. Don't write them off too quickly. Don't write them off too quickly. Uh, In fact, when I first came to Richland, I remember we had, had a Wednesday night prayer service in the old sanctuary. And I remember early on in that time coming across the book by the radio Bible class, one of those small pamphlets they put out. And the title of that was The Pharisee and Me. It was one of the most most gracious gifts God ever gave to me early on in my ministry. Because we can become Pharisees pretty easily. And so don't be too hard on them. But, but one of the things that Paul did, being a Pharisee, is he realized that the danger of that trek was that it laid heavy burdens on people. In fact, in Matthew 23, in verse 4, it says, They tie heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders but are not willing to move them with their finger. I believe when Paul said, it's no trouble for me to keep coming back to the gospel, and it is safe for you for me to keep coming back to the gospel in regards to the Philippians, which I would say the same thing, is it keeps you from bearing heavy burdens that you were never intended to bear. Christianity devoid of the gospel can do the same thing that the Pharisees were doing in the Old Testament realm. And so this morning I say to you, ask yourself, what does your faith feel like? Now, we've talked in other cases. We need to be careful of always taking our temperature, but I'm giving you permission. 
take your temperature. What does your faith feel like? Is it a heavy burden on your shoulders? Let me say to you this morning, if it is, something isn't quite right. You're missing something. And I will be arrogant enough to say to you that what you're missing is a fuller understanding of the gospel. It is. It's why Paul said it's no problem for me to keep coming back to it. It is safe for you because it keeps you from bearing burdens. You see, Paul was speaking with a pastoral heart, the very thing the Pharisees didn't have much of. They didn't have much of it. That's really the criticism that Jesus brought at the Pharisees. But Paul had a pastoral heart. And he knew that the danger of this Christian life is that it could become heavy, become burdensome if we don't get it quite right. We don't get the source of how to live it out right. And so he said to them, he said to them, it's safe for me to say this. It keeps those burdens off of you. And he, he comes back to the gospel. The answer to that burden, the answer to getting it lifted off is for you to see more clearly the glory of God in the face of Christ. That is the answer. And so this morning, if it feels heavy, if it feels burdensome, I would say to you, your prayer ought to be, God, show me more of your glory in the face of Christ. Show me more of what the gospel is and how it should affect me and how I should live in it and why it should be continually something I come back to. It's why I've invited you to to get this book and to read it, especially if you feel the Christian life as a burden right now, to get it. They're short little excerpts. They don't take very long to read. But I believe as you walk through it and you pray, God, show me. God, help me to see. I believe God will use it. I believe the same thing Paul said. It is no burden for me to keep telling you that because it is the best thing I could ever tell you. Gospel of Christ. Now, that's, that's one reason. The burdens. The danger of the, of the Christian life becoming a burden. Becoming the idea of, I've got to do this. And, and we don't realize the power that God wants to give us to live out this life of faith. The second thing, though, is disillusionment. The second reason I think Paul said it's good for me is is in the realm of disillusionment because a burden can lead to disillusionment. But I, I, I have an amazing thing as I've looked at this passage and, and worked it over in my mind that just seemed to, to pop out to me here as I came to come before you, which is connected to this whole idea of disillusionment. Look at, look at the passage here. Look back in there. Paul says some very hard things in, in Philippians chapter 3. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. I mean, that is strong language. We talked about that last week. I mean, he doesn't mince any words. And he, he says that in the context of those who are perverting the gospel, who are perverting what this life of faith is. The Judaizers who were coming in and adding to the gospel. Paul had no time for people distorting it because he knew what it led to. He knew it led to heavy burdens. And he knew, I think also, it leads to disillusionment. But the amazing statement that he makes is verse 3. This is absolutely, completely 
counterculture to where we live today, where you young people live in this pluralistic age that says everybody's right at the same time. Now, we don't always know who's right, but I have the contention that there is a right. And we can't always be arrogant to know we're right in every circumstance. But that doesn't mean there's not a right out there. But our culture today says nobody can know that. You can't know that. There's no way to know that. And pluralism says every road leads the same way and same place and all of that. That's the culture you live in. It, you, you just, it just bleeds out of our culture for us. And, and the younger generations have, have no context to balance it. As you go up the generational ladder, you have a little more context to balance that. But young generation has no, no, no way to balance it because that's all they've ever heard all of their lives. And it, it's tough to come against that. But look at what Paul says. I mean, look at the statement he makes. Now think about that in the context of the pluralistic culture in which we live. He says this, for we are the real circumcision. Now think about that statement. We are the real circumcision. That's a dogmatic statement. In other words, Paul is saying they're wrong and I'm right. Isn't that what he's saying? We are the real circumcision. Doesn't mince words. Doesn't play political correctness. He just says they're wrong. This is right. I think one of the hardest problems, probably for all of us, but again, as you go down that generational ladder to the lower end, the youngest among us, it gets harder. We live in a society, we live in a day when there's all kinds of religious stripes out there. And you don't have to go beyond the Christian umbrella of that to realize there are multitudes of stripes. There are all kinds of labels that get put on different gatherings of people this morning. All over our, our surrounding communities, there's all different kinds of stripes. And so I think young people grow up in that and they think, oh, how in the world can I know? I mean, this is what my parents brought me up in. How do I know what's right and what isn't? First thing I would say about that is that nobody is totally right. There are lots of peripheral stuff on the outside. And some of that peripheral stuff, there are genuine believers who, who differ. I think an example of that is baptism. There are genuine believers who, who strongly affirm pedo-baptism, infant baptism. There are strong believers who see nothing other than believer baptism. But they're both believers. I don't, I don't de-Christianize them for those kinds of peripheral issues. I may differ with them. I may have strong convictions about some things. But I don't, I don't de-Christianize them. And there's lots of stuff like that out there. There's some stuff out there that, that I think some stripes believe that is just flat wrong. I, I, just, I, I, don't even, I, I would at some times probably come to the point of wondering about whether they're really in the kingdom or not. There's that, that within the stripe and the umbrella of Christianity sometimes. So, but the, quest, the thing I say is don't, don't get hung up there. The question I come back to is here, in this whole idea of disillusionment, because I think the, the remedy for the disillusionment, the remedy for those who say, how can we know? What, how can we know? I would say to you this. 
When Paul said that, we are the real circumcision, he wasn't talking about peripheral stuff. He went right to the heart of Christianity. He went right to the heart, which is the gospel. There are lots of things that I'm not willing to fight for. There are lots of things I'm not willing to die for. I think there's some things Paul probably wouldn't have died for. But I know one thing he would have. He would have died for the gospel. He did die for the gospel. Young people, I say to you, there are lots of different stripes. Nobody fully has it right. And don't get too hung up with all of that. But I say to you in the same breath, there are some things that are right. And Christianity is about the gospel. And Christianity is about getting the gospel right. And that's why Paul said to write the same things to you is no trouble. It is safe for you. It is safe for you. And so I say, if you're wrestling with disillusionment, you're wondering if you can know anything, don't try to know everything. Just come back and say, God, open my eyes to see what you mean when you say the glory of God in the face of Christ. What, what is there about Christ that is central? And that's where Paul goes. The reason he could say we are the real circumcision because he wasn't talking about peripherals. He was talking about the heart of the matter. And Paul was, was uh, intense about it. Turn over to Galatians chapter 1. Remember, remember when we walked through the book of Galatians? Listen to what Paul says. This is what he says because he felt so strongly there were some things that were non-negotiable. There were some things that need to be central. There were some things that were we were able to know and we should know and we shouldn't waffle on. Listen to what he said in verse 6 of chapter 1. Just listen if you don't have a Bible this morning. He says, I am astonished, he's writing to the Galatians, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. Any doubt that Paul believed there was a truth, there was a gospel, and there wasn't a second gospel? There was just one gospel? He says, some are turning, and I don't mean by saying that, that there is another. There isn't another. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let him be damned. That's what he's saying there. Paul felt like there was something central. And so I say to you, young people, uh, some of you may stay here at Richland, which will probably be a minority. Most of you will go other places. The first thing to look for, people, is not the label over the door. The first thing to look for is what do they believe about the gospel of Christ? What do they believe about Christ? Because every stripe has a danger. Paul knew it. Even himself. He said, even if I or an angel from heaven preaches another gospel to you, let them be accursed. No longer do we live in a day and age where just the label we can settle. You need to go deeper. 
wherever you go, the question to ask is, what do they believe about Christ? What do they believe about the gospel? And if it doesn't match what Paul says about the gospel, run. No matter where you find it. If one day you come home to Richland and you find something's wrong, run. Because it can happen anywhere. That's why Paul said, even if I or an angel from heaven preaches another gospel, let them be accursed. That's really what he's saying. It is, it is, the, it is the ploy of Satan, the enemy of our souls, to distort it there. That's where it gets distorted. And you see, part of the benefit Paul had, he wasn't far from the time of Christ. And so he said, we are the real circumcision. He affirmed in other places that he was a true apostle. You can go back in Acts and read of his conversion. Uh, and, and Paul was an apostle. And so he said, we are the real circumcision. And certainly that, that gave Paul added ammunition to be able to say that. But I want to say to you, say it humbly. Say it with grace. Be careful of your spirit. But you can know that you are the real circumcision. You don't have to just wander around. That's what revelation is about. That's what scripture is about. That's why God gave us revelation. And make sure that you get the gospel right. It, it will keep that burden from being heavy. It will, it will keep disillusionment from entering in. And both of those things are deadly. Both of those things are deadly. Now, the thing that I would say to you in all of that, as Paul makes those kinds of statements, is what did he say about the gospel? Turn back there to, to Philippians now. Look at what he says. Look, look at if you think I'm wrong, and when he says we're the real circumcision, what he does is recount the gospel. It's, it's summed up right here. And he knew that the argument that would come to him would be this. If he made that statement, if he came against the Judaizers, who's, who's the ones that were troubling here, who were saying they, people needed literal circumcision, they could, they could follow Christ, but they needed to be literally circumcised, they needed to follow the Jewish uh, form as well as part of Christianity, mixing of the two together, and, and what he says to them, we are the real circumcision, he knew he would get criticized. He knew that people would come against him. And come after him because he was God's apostle to the Gentiles. If you read of Paul's conversion in Acts, it says, I've set you aside, Paul, that you might be the ambassador to the Gentiles. So Paul was going to the Gentiles. But Paul says, wait, guys, as you Judaizers come against me, let me tell you my, let, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you of where I come from. Isn't it marvelous the way God orchestrated who he picked who he picked to be his ambassador to the Gentiles? He picked a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul does a little boasting here, but I'm confident that his boasting is not out of whack. In other words, his boasting is not out of line. When Paul begins to write here and he talks about his reason for confidence in the flesh, look at verse 4. Um, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. In other words, Paul says to these Judaizers who are wanting to mix Judaism with Christianity, you want to you know somebody who did it 
just the way it was supposed to be. The one who crossed the T's and dotted all the I's more than anyone else. It was me. It was me. I don't, I don't say I'm the true circumcision lightly. Because I lived where you live. And I tried to do it the way you're talking about doing it. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And that's really what he's saying. I, I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. I did it all. But that's not the true way. You see, Paul could have, and for a time in his life did. I mean, had God not intercepted him in the book of Acts, Paul would have been right here with the Judaizers. And worse, he, would have, he was the fiercest opponent of the church. He came against the church in, in incredible ways, killing them, putting them in prison. He was standing at Stephen's grave as he was stoned to death. He held his garments. And Paul says, hey, I know where I'm coming from. I don't say I'm the real circumcision or we're the real circumcision lightly. Paul said it because he understood the gospel. And he goes on here to say, as we walk through this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. What does he count as loss? All of that merit that he thought he was building up. All of the things he thought were meriting his favor with God. He says they're rubbish. And that was no light thing for Paul to say. You see what Paul did, what he didn't weary of telling them, what he knew was best for them, was to always bring them back to the gospel. And he goes on to say, this is it, I consider them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What was Paul saying is the true circumcision? What was Paul saying is the truth? The truth is, that we cannot, we cannot merit salvation. We cannot earn it. We cannot live in legalistic righteousness enough to get there. And he's saying, God showed me that. And he caused me to look away from that to Christ. And to find my righteousness in Christ. Young people... There are lots of things that are proclaimed in the name of Christianity. What I would encourage you to do is see what the revelation of it is in Scripture. What is the revelation? What has God said to us? Christianity fundamentally is about the fact we need a Savior. It's about the Gospel. It's about we can't in our own self merit salvation. We need to look to the merit of Christ. We need to look to His perfect performance and what he did to give us a righteousness that none of us can possess or conjure up in ourselves. And when Paul says, we're the real circumcision, that's what he was saying. You need Christ. And Paul was glorying in Christ. So this morning I'm going to close what we have to say, what I have to say, and then we're going to sing together. 
really is a benediction this morning. But whether you're a young person or up that generational ladder, wherever you, wherever you live on that, the thing I would say to you is how do we know? How do we know? How do we, how do we get beyond this disillusionment to think, how, how can we know? How can anybody know? You've been drilled that so long. Here's what you look for. Here's what you look for. Wherever you go, whether, whether it's here or whether it's you go someplace else or you're visiting this morning and you're in your own church, wherever you're at, what is it that is central? What is it about true believers, the true circumcision that should begin to bubble up? I think it is a glorying in Christ. If you go someplace... Young people, I'll use young people as an example. You go someplace, you graduate from high school, graduate from college, whatever, you're, you go someplace else, you're looking for a church. You come into that church, you know, you maybe sing some hymns that sound familiar, you sing some other stuff, you, you read some passages of scripture that sound familiar, you have a form of worship that you're kind of familiar with, all of that. That, that don't settle on that. But what you want to see bubbling up is that these people glory in Christ. They talk a lot about Jesus Christ. And they talk about a lot about why Jesus Christ died. And they talk a lot about the fact that we need His merit to be our merit. And they talk a lot about the fact that our righteousness will never add up to be enough. You see, they glory in Christ. Look back with me in verse 1 and 2. Remember as we were reading last week, it says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is of no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the true circumcision. And then he says three things. Who worship by the Spirit of God. But he has two more. That's a little harder to get your head around. Worship by the Spirit of God. I, I can kind of get my head around that. I can kind of tell you what that is. But the other two get more specific. The second one says, they glory in Christ Jesus. And thirdly, they put no confidence in the flesh, which is about glorying in Christ Jesus. The center, the center, the core of truth, of true believers, of true circumcision, is they glory in Christ Jesus. That's, that's the centrality of it all. That's where we need to be as a people. Because that is the soul strengthening fiber of a body of Christ. Glorying in Christ in all that He's done. I hope that's where you reside. That's my desire as a pastor. My desire as a pastor is nothing more than to glory in Christ and lift up Christ so that you glory in Him and find soul-strengthening joy there and a reality that this is the truth. This is the truth. Let's stand and sing together. All I once to build my life upon all this world revealed
It actually is a different order, I think. You're my righteousness, which produces joy. The progress and joy in the faith comes as we glory in Christ, as we see more of Christ, as we see more of what He did for us. And that is the center of the true circumcision. That's the center. Let's pray.
Father, help us. If there's one here today who is heavily burdened, thinking this is, this is too much. Maybe it's a young person that says, as soon as I'm free, I'm going to dump it. Or maybe it's an older person who's just settled in to sit in the pew and go through the motions. Oh, Lord, help them to see it's about glorying in Christ. Pray, Lord, you would cause that burden to be lifted as they see the righteousness of Christ for them. And for the one who might be disillusioned today, wondering how you sort all this out, how you know what's right, what's wrong. I just pray they start to understand that it's about glorying in Christ. Gospel is about Christ. About keeping it central. And they would have hope that maybe it's not as hard as they've been sold a bill of goods that it is. Certainly we don't have a corner on all of the truth. None of us do. No church does. Nobody gets it absolutely right. But Lord, that doesn't mean there aren't some things that are right and central and that we can know are right. And I pray, Lord, you'll help us bring hope where there's disillusionment and lift off burdens where they're too heavy to bear. And may we run to Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.